Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, and today we are going to be talking with Operation Enduring Warrior. You may have heard of them. They've done a ton of great stuff. I've been hearing about it. I've got friends that have participated in events that they've done, and I was so excited to get them on the show. So we have Chris Wolf. He's an OEW honoree, Operation Enduring Warrior honoree. So he's participated in their organization. He knows what they do. And he's here to talk about all the great stuff that Operation Enduring Warrior does. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. So you're Operation Enduring Warrior. So you were a warrior at some point? Yes, sir. I was in the United States Air Force for almost 11 years. And what did you do? I was a heavy aircraft mechanic, so I worked on aircraft from C-130s to C-17s. And my job was to fix the aircraft from a windshield all the way to a tire or even replacing an engine in the same, all in the same day. Wow. That's, that's a lot of work. I know that the, the maintenance guys at the air force are always working. It's a tough job, especially with those older airframes. So that's a, a big job, very technical job. And I know a lot of people that go and do it for a lifetime. I guess there's all sorts of certifications. Yeah, I did it for 12, almost 11 years working on them. And I worked on aircraft that were back from the Vietnam we're out of Ramstein C-130E models that were back, 63 models. So I got to introduce to some people who worked on them when they were brand new. So yeah, so they are workhorses for the Air Force. That's just crazy to have things that were brand new when our parents were just being born. So you're with Operation Enduring Warrior. What is Operation Enduring Warrior? Operation Enduring Warrior is an, a nonprofit organization that provides an outlet via for service for wounded service members and first responders and it provides them an outlet instead of just being the basic medical attention stuff it's taking them out and putting them back into the world and giving them an opportune chance to honor empower and motivate them through something if it be an obstacle course race skydiving scuba diving just archery being able to get out there and push past the limitations, but at the same time, do it with the commodity that we had when we were active duty or the, or as a first responder, having your brothers and sisters next to you while doing that. So let's talk about that. What is the criteria to be OEW uh, honoree? What is that criteria? For me, sir, that was being a wounded service member. I got a flu shot that paralyzed me when I was active duty. I got a flu shot 19 days later, I woke up paralyzed from the neck down. And my ultimate prognosis would be that I was going to be paralyzed and uh, not be able to breathe, eat, walk, or do anything on my own. Through physical therapy and getting to what I am now, I was able to compete. And my first OAW event was to compete. And I climbed on my hands and knees up the Red Bull 400 in Park City, Utah. So it took me a little bit over two hours. But what we do it as, as OAW puts on our mask members will be a four-man team and one honoree is what the ultimate goal is. And the idea is to keep the attention on the honoree, not the service members or first responders that are behind that mask that are pushing us through. And what I love about that mask ability is everybody is 
everybody has at that point when you're doing an obstacle course race or, or whatever event you're doing with Operation Enduring Warrior, they're on the same playing field. So I'm disabled and I cannot take off my disability. But when they put on those masks, they are also d- disabling themselves because they themselves have to deal with a breathing disability or pushing through something that, that they're dealing with underneath that mask. And what it does, it levels the playing field for us to be able to compete together and finish together. That's just absolutely fantastic. I I couldn't imagine going to get a routine flu shot and then waking up paralyzed and going, oh, crap, my whole life has changed just from, you know, a routine thing. Yeah, I was 25 years old. I came just came back from Afghanistan. I should have died in Afghanistan on my last mission. Came home, was kissing the ground, was happy to be home. And we do what we call redeployment line in the military. And that's where you drop off your deployment gear and get your active duty gear and go back to your normal schedule, preparing for your next deployment. And in that process, they go through your medical records and they go through and that's when they administered a flu vaccine, a nasal spray. And 19 days later, it attacked my spinal cord, leaving me paralyzed from the neck down as a C5 quadriplegic. Holy cow. So obviously you didn't let that stop you. You got involved with Operation Enduring Warrior. How did that happen? What was that process? What did you, how did you get involved? So this goes back to 2018. I became paralyzed in 2008. I was paralyzed for two and a half years. Couldn't move any part of my body as a C5 quadriplegic. One morning I woke up and left, lifted my left hand up off the bed about a quarter of an inch. And if I knew I, I knew that day, if I could do that, I could do more. So I've pushed through physical therapy and I've got to the point now where I can stand. It's been almost 13 years. November the 18th will be my, my 13 year anniversary. We call that our alive day from my paralysis. From that point on, I started pushing myself to do more and more to the point where I'm able to walk with forearm crutches. And 2018, my wife and I and a buddy set off to climb the Red Bull 400. And so we trained for it and get up that morning to get up there, go to find out that at that point, my wife told me that she was pregnant. So it was like, okay, well, I can't push my wife past this limit. And I found out the buddy I was with was also dealing with an injury himself. So we started to climb this mountain, this hill. And at about the 150 meter mark, I experienced what's called oxygen sickness. And my left leg locked out to the point where I couldn't move it. I was carried down off the, the, the off of that because I defeated from them from that climb. And I made a phone call to one of the Matt team members who was a great friend of mine. And I told him, this is not where it ends. And, 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 and from that word, like he took it personal. I was like, and he's like, what do you mean by this? And I told him, I'm not going to leave this where I'm at right now. I want to conquer this. And he told me, all right, next year, our goal is for you to get up to that mountain. And the next year, that's when OAW joined together with me. That was my first event with them. And we climbed that mountain together on our hands and knees. That's absolutely amazing. The pushing through through adversity is something that I think OEW is is really there for. Yes. And the biggest thing that I got to, so when they asked me to train for this, we, we were looking at what it takes to get up there. And as being paralyzed from the waist down and, and having mem- limited mobility to be able to move my legs, it, obviously that's a huge climb. So you're talking 400 meters technically in a straight line, but going straight up, it's even further. And obviously you're dealing with an altitude change and everything that goes on. So we started looking at different supplements and stuff and we worked through that and I trained on it. And the biggest thing I trained on, and this was the weirdest thing where if, if you saw me in the gym, you would look at me like something was wrong with me, but I was at my local gym and we were taught what I was told was, Hey, I want you to get on a treadmill and I want you to walk with just your arms at like 0.2 speed. And I was like, all right, cool. So I just started walking with my arms So here I'm on the ground with my legs on the ground and I'm using my arms to just walk up a treadmill at, a, at an incline. And we would change the incline weekly until the point 
And it was at the point where I was like, okay, well, how far do I train to? And the trainer with OEW told me, all right, I want you to train to a mile. If we get to a mile, we know we're great. We'll get past that mark. And I was like, oh, awesome. So I trained and trained for six solid months of climbing this treadmill every day, trying to just push myself even further for more and more distance till I got to a mile and I was exhausted. I'm like, all right. So we started climbing this mountain in 2019. And I uh, start climbing. I first started with, off with forearm crutches and that gets to a point where it peaks. So at an angle that my forearm crutches, I, they were doing me no, no good. So we, I stepped those off and I got on my hands and knees and we started to walk up this. And there's a part where you're climbing a cargo net. And then from there it gets to wood slats. And then it gets kind of a different area where you, you start climbing up. And I got to a point at the 350 meter mark and I was toasted. And I was like, what is going on? And one of the buddies looked down and he goes up, oh, that's a mile. And I was like, oh, this is what I had trained for. And I'm like, what? And, and he looked at me, he's like, yeah, we, we've done this. This is how far it's taken us to go. And one of the OEW representatives or one of them was with me and, and an OCA member was with us. And I said, like, he, I was like, man, how am I going to do this? This is what I trained for. And he said, and these words will still, I mean, I've been taught this as a kid, but never understood this. And he literally said, the only way to do this is to eat it like an elephant, one bite at a time. And what we did is every time that I pushed, I would, we would do it in a cadence. I would go left, right. And then they would pick my legs up left, right. And we would work our way all the way to the top to the point where we finished it and conquered it. But the biggest accomplishment was not only accomplishing it on that mountain, but having my older daughter at the top to meet me when I finished was a cool thing. And that's what I love about OEW is they integrate your family into the program for them to be a part of that excitement and that team effort at the end or in the process of it or, or anywhere that it is. But I love about it because they Without my family, or not only my military family, my first responder family, without my blood family, my 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 wife and kids, without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And that's what that's I love a, about how they integrate them into your family. No, that's absolutely amazing. I, what an amazing and powerful story. Now, there are a number of programs that OEW does. So it's not just, you know, conquering mountains, but that is a part of it. But there's a lot more to it, right? Yes, sir. So what are some so, of those programs? They, they, in the last few years, they've started an archery program that they take the veterans out and, and teach them how to compete. And from there, they actually did the art. The, it's an archery challenge that they did. And I've seen people from the archery challenge turn into hunting as well. So now they've, they've got a place out in Huntsville that they've selected veterans to be able to go hunt. And it's a fully accessible stand for them to be able to get to. There is a scuba diving program that, that, that they've started. I also was also involved in their skydiving, skydiving program where they get you out and push you out of an airplane. And from that point on, work on getting you to the point where you're able to get your A license and fly on your own and, and, and do something that you never thought you would be able to physically do, but through training and being able to do that. It's just amazing because that's something I didn't think I would ever be able to do. Now, obviously, you've got a lot more mobility than you did at the first time, but that must have been a, a big jump. I mean, obviously, climbing the mountain, getting up there on the 400, absolutely amazing challenge. How did that compare to skydiving? Well, it's on a different level. The issue with skydiving is I'm fully harnessed inside with with braces to make sure that my legs don't lock out in, in a landing and, and being able to do that. And it took us a while to figure that out. What I love about where they send you to, they send you to Eloy, Arizona. And on the airfield itself with, with, with jump is it, is an, is a wind tunnel. So you work hours and hours in a wind tunnel before you even jump out of your first airplane. And what they're trying to do is figure out what your body can and can't do and what it takes to, to adapt your body, to be able to handle the, the free fall and all that, because your free fall honestly is 
is seconds, you know, by the time you, you go out of the airplane and, and you're counting and you're looking at your altitude, your altimeter, and you're waiting for it before you, you pull your, 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 your shoot. And then, and then next, now it comes down to the biggest part is, you know, anybody can jump out of an airplane at, for, for honesty with, with or without a parachute, anybody can. And it, but, at least uh, once, right? At least once. Right, right. Exactly. But it's the skill of being able to understand and come out the airplane with, you know, with, with, with control. Because I have to, obviously at that point with my legs, I don't have control, full control of my legs. So we had to figure out how to make that work. But at the same time, we had the ability to then modify it. And every time we went in the tunnel to modify it and see what it would do and, and, and put my body through hours of training before I jumped out of an airplane. And then from there, starting as a tandem, putting you with an instructor and having them see what your body does naturally and then adjust it in the tunnel and go back and forth to the point where now you're in, you're in full control of the canopy for your first landing, you know, and they do that multiple times to make sure you're comfortable. And then it's like, all right, now it's your first time to do a solo jump. And you're like, Oh, this is awesome. And you're under control from a radio. So they're talking you through it. So it's not just, Hey, you're jumping out of an airplane and you're on your own. But when you get that first jump and you're by yourself and, and you pull the chute and you're under under canopy and, and you're able to take a second because your first time of all of that with with an instructor is so rushing, you know, everything's going by so fast and, and it's all precise and it's all this. Now you're by yourself and you take a second and you're like you get a second to actually breathe and then work through how how you make your turn and how you head into the wind and, and how you you flare on the right angle and you come down and, and you make that first landing and you're able to see what you've done, all this hard work and dedication that you put in through has paid off. But honestly, the only way, the only reason why you're here is because an organization stepped up and said, hey, let us help you push past these limitations. Let us get you through what the world would say you're not capable of doing. You know, the idea of using wind tunnels and sort of getting you prepped and learning your what your limitations are and how to get around them and get past them. That's just amazing. I don't think I've ever heard of any organization using wind tunnels to sort of teach the skills of skydiving. I mean, obviously you see it at like some of the parks and, you know, some of the recreation places, but I've never heard of it as a way to learn skydiving for real. Yep. And that's the best thing. What I love about it is it steps away from the landing, from the drop zone and the landing zone right there. You know, and if they saw something in, in flight with a tandem, they could go back inside and we could correct it and see if it's a matter of making an adjustment here or there or, you know, tightening my belt or, or putting more padding in a certain area so that, you know, when I came down, I didn't have to worry about that. And that was what's cool is every time we would go in the tunnel, we would make an adjustment and then you were able to see it. So we would spend four hours with that adjustment, making sure that it worked. And then we would then we would put it to to to, to action, you know, and see what how it affected in in real life and being able to control that. And after a while, all the little minor movements were so small that it didn't even make an effect that, you know, like where we went up, we went in the tunnel for 15 minutes and then we went on an airplane. So you can oh, just wow. see those titrating, you know, making those small adjustments, very small to the point where my first send off when they sent me off the airplane and they got a picture with me on a GoPro and I am literally in flight, level flight. And my instructors are, you know, within within distance to grab me, but I am literally floating on my own with no erratic turns no no erratic you know body movements i am level flight while while free falling for the 30 seconds that i had that's just amazing that's that is the coolest thing another of your programs is something that you're involved with that it's sort of the reason we're talking with you today is warrior's voice what is that all about it gives us the capability to be able to speak about what this organization does 
And what it is, is it's transitioning from being, okay, I'm now an honoree where I've been honored to, to participate, but now as a veteran and an honoree, I can give back. And that gives me the ability to speak about how great this organization is and what they do and how they want to grow these programs and how they want to get that first responder who, who you know, got shot at the line of duty or a service member who's missing a limb and, and they want to get out and shoot archery or and Mike, you know, where I jumped out of an airplane, you know, the, the other individual who jumped out with me had no legs and we worked on a suit and they got a suit that was specifically built for him to be able to land. And, and that's, what's cool about that. There's always, they're always trying to critique it to the next person that wants to come and be involved because without this, honestly, I don't think I would be where I'm at now. I mean, I, there are a lot of organizations that have helped me along the way, but this one has pushed me past my limitations. And the biggest thing about it was after I got done with the Red Bull 400, I'm on a gondola going back down the mountain. And one of the OCA members looked at me and he's like, what's next for you? And I looked at him and I said, hey, I would like to trifecta in the Spartan next year. And we're in June or July of this event. It was June of 20, 2019 that I climbed the Red Bull 400. And he looked at me and he goes, why can't we do it this year? There's, there's a Spartan here in July. We can knock out two of them in one weekend and then we can do your last Dallas beast in December or October and you can trifecta this year. And that's exactly what happened. We set a date from that point on. And then I pushed past my next limitation to the point where I trifected in 2019. That's amazing. So the warrior's voice, I think is one of the coolest things because it's not just like, Oh, I, I, you know, I, I received these help. I go, I get all these activities but it also teaches you how to do sort of the public affairs and go do speeches and, and public speaking, which that is one of the hardest things for anybody, no matter how well they are, to get over. It can be anxiety for everybody. Yes, I mean, that's such a, you know, it's a common thing. And teaching folks how to go and speak and get out there. Uh, what does that involve? What does that training look like? So with me, I've been through speech training before, and that's what got me involved in Warrior Warrior Voice. And they've done other trainings with with high end people, with speech therapy, and you know, controlling your ums and your uh, its and those things that that we have tendencies to say in a speech. But a lot of that is what drives me to speak about this and being able to 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 have a clear voice for people. Is there's somebody out there that's listening, and I know this. And they've either been through what I've been through or have a, have that same feeling. And if I could just reach them with just one word, you know, and with OEW, the word is unbreakable. We are unbreakable. Yes. I'm, I, you know, people may tell me I'm damaged and people may tell me I'm different. People may be tell me I'm broken, but that's not true. We all have a different ailment in our life, whatever it be physical, mentally, you know, even both, you know, where you're, Injury itself drives your PTSD or an injury that drives stuff that you've done in the past. And you want to push past that. The biggest thing about doing that is finding your limitations in life and pushing them every day and realizing what you can do more and more. And that's why OEW is so awesome because they help us push those limitations, but within a safety parameter without putting yourself in danger to the point where you could hurt yourself even more. Yeah, nobody wants to get any further hurt. And so I listening to how all this went down with you and how you were able to accomplish all these goals, it sounds like there's a whole lot of training, a whole lot of making sure that you're able to do it, making adjustments to make sure that anybody, no matter what their condition, is able to accomplish the goals that they set for themselves. 
Yeah, exactly. And when you go on a course with Operation Enduring Warrior, they have safety equipment with them from harnesses to straps to, to you know, looking at how things work differently for people with different injuries. You know, with mine, my, my biggest goal in this last Spartan was to be able to climb a rope. Obviously, you know, having no leg power, that's where your climb comes from, where you just grab with your arms and, and you lift with your feet and you keep pushing your way up. Well, they looked at how can we do this, you know, safely and control it. So they put me in a harness. And as I would lift myself up, they would take the tension off. And then, then as I would lift myself, they would keep pulling to the point where at the very end, I was able to ring the bell on my own power. And from there, then they controlled my descend with, with the harness and, and a rope and, and being able to, to do that. But what that gave me was a feeling I can't even explain that. Like, obviously, you know, when I was a kid, I climbed ropes all day long. So it was like, ah, this is nothing. But giving me back that feeling that I could do it on my own. Yes, it had to be done differently. Yes, it had to be done in a way most people wouldn't consider me actually doing it. But I was under my own power. I was able to, to, to physically see what I needed to do with their help, accomplish it. And that's what I love about OEW is they're always trying to, like you said, their core values are to honor, empower, and motivate. And looking at what my obstacle was, yes, my disability stopped me. If you look at this on paper, there's no physical way I'm getting up a rope and I'm going to ring this bell. You know, and in a Spartan world, you don't do it, you do burpees. Okay, you know, that's the punishment for that. And that's fine. But I told them, I was like, I don't want to do burpees. I don't want to bypass this obstacle by, by, by being defeated by it. And we all looked at it and we were able to accomplish it. And at the end, like when we all, when I came down that rope, all of us came together and hugged. And it was just like this coolest accomplishment because not only was I able to do it individually, we were able to do it as a team and we were able to show like, Hey, anybody else wants to do this. We know what to do and how to do this safely and how to accomplish something that nobody in this world would say could be physically done. That's amazing. So OEW has a bunch of things. I'm going to recap just to make sure I got them all. You have the adventure line, which is all these various adventures, rock marching, mountain climbing, all this stuff. The archery program, events, like you mentioned with the obstacle courses, triathlons, hand cycling, and then the skydiving, and then Warrior's Voice. That is a whole lot of different fun activities. You know, that's, that's a panoply of things. Who can participate? Who is the, what is the criteria in order for someone to be involved with Operation Enduring Warrior as either a participant, an honoree, or as one of the mass athlete team? So as an honoree being disabled, and a lot of our honorees do transition to MAT team members. So a lot of them will start off as an honoree where they want to come in and participate. So from being a wounded veteran, even physical or mental, being that you deal with a traumatic brain injury or a PTSD, and you want to accomplish something and you reach out to OEW and they will do what it takes to make this possible. And from there, you have your first responders who were injured in the line of duty. We've had service members that have been shot at and they themselves have transitioned. And, I've, and I have a great friend that transitioned from an honoree to a MAT team member. And I was there when he was able to receive his mask and see him transition to that. And then the drive that I saw this person go through changed their life, not only physically, but mentally and being able to see what they've done to, to, to not only further themselves, but also further some other people along the way, because, you know, their injury themselves should have debilitated them completely to the point where they should have been paralyzed, but they overcame that. And from there, they they accomplished something that they thought they wouldn't be able to do. And then from that point, transition to being able to help other veterans or other, other first responders in the process. So where is Operation Enduring Warrior? You mentioned like going out to Arizona, down in Alabama. 
So where does Operation Enduring Warrior provide activities, I guess, is the right question. Nationwide, and they've also participated in some stuff overseas. Okay, so it doesn't really matter where you live. There's going to be something nearby. There's going to be some accommodation made to get you where you need to go. That's correct. Yeah. So they do the process of figuring out. So as a warrior or or first responder, I reach out to OAW and there's an event I want to get involved with. They make it physically possible for you. All you have to do is show up. So they pro- they provide airlines and food and transportation and acceptance to the event and work the parameters before you get there so that the officials for that event know, okay, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Yes, these are your rules. But we, you know, a lot of that's working with Spartan and all these other organizations. Like we called out to the Red Bull 400 and gave them a heads up. Like this is what's going on. Cause there's a time limit normally for a person to climb and I'm not able to meet that time limit, but that doesn't mean I can't compete in the event. And that's the thing about that is they do all this legwork beforehand. And the biggest thing they just got done doing was in Ohio was the, the war X. And that's bringing veterans out to an obstacle course race. That's a live in live battlefield, in my opinion, where there's live fire and explosions going off. But the whole idea is to compete in this event and finish as a team. And what I love about that is it comes up to all you have to do is sign up for this event. And this organization will do what it's possible to make it possible for you to meet that event. And at no cost to the person, the honoree. That's what I was getting at. Cause there's, there's a lot of people who say, Oh yeah, there's all these events in, pick another state, and I live in this other state, so I'm just not going to get involved. If you're actually interested, if you're saying, you know what, I've got some goals, I want to go do something, you're a wounded warrior, or you're uh, injured in the law enforcement field or a first responder, go check them out, EnduringWarrior.org. Don't worry about writing it down. We'll have it on the website. But definitely go check it out. They're very accepting of the challenges people have, which I think is pretty amazing. So we talked about who, what you do, where you're at, and all the many things that you've been doing. How in the world does this thing get funded? I'm sure it's a lot of donations. Is there any staff? Is it volunteer-led? How does that work? It's 100% volunteer-led. That's the biggest thing. That every one of these people that we work with are volunteering their time. And a lot of them are first responders that have an active duty job. I mean, from being SWAT every day and then putting on a mask on the weekends and being involved in something that they step away then from to correctional officers, to active duty members that are still active duty. You know, that was my biggest thing is finding out my last event that two of them were active duty and they got time for leave to do these events. And that's, what's cool about that is, is donation donations come from donors who are out there that see us competing. And we have donors from an organization from battle bars and it's an, a nutritional bar company out of Chicago. And, I got a chance to speak for them to promote their product because it helps us. And their ultimate goal is to write us a $1 million check for from proceeds that they've made. And it's just the coolest thing to see them work together because it's another veteran organization and being able to compete on another level. And I would have never thought you told me, hey, you know, five years from your injury, you're going to climb a mountain or you're going to, you know, you're going to go through an obstacle course course race and you're going to finish. I would have never said that. I would never thought that in my life. But OEW gave me back something I never thought I would ever have again. What a fantastic organization. I know how difficult it is to run organizations where everyone's a volunteer, no paid staff, and especially these events that require a lot of people, these masked events. And I just want to, like, can you draw me a picture of what these masks look like? We're coming out of COVID, and we're I'm picturing, you know, all these masks, like, you know, the, the COVID masks, but that's not what you're talking about, is it? 
No, I am not talking about that. I am talking about a, a mask that's fully sealed with a charcoal filter. And best way of explaining it is, is it's a chemical mask to keep the militaries where we use it mostly. And you'll see it in law enforcement as well for tear gas and being able to control any of the chemical environment in which you are at that's fully sealed. So even going underwater, they will seal the filter. And in some of the obstacle course races we compete in, there's a part where it's called the dunk wall in the Spartan race, and you have to fully submerge yourself under the water. They will plug that filter and go completely under the water. So they are breathless from the point that they go underneath the dunk wall to the point where they come out where they're able to take a breath. Yeah. Anytime somebody's wearing an NBC mask, it sucks. Even if there's no NBC involved, or there's no tear gas, those definitely restrict your breathing and vision and everything else. So these guys are operating at a deficit, a self-imposed deficit as they're assisting the veterans or the honorees to get through the obstacles. So they're not just taking the easy out. They've got some, some significant limitations putting on themselves as well. Correct. And that's the thing about that is they don't, don't, they do not take the mask off at all during the obstacle course at all. I mean, they, that mask is kept on. And what's cool about them is they don't bring light to themselves. So the whole idea is we, as people, as honorees know who's underneath that mask, but the audience that's with us that, that sees these individuals in the mask don't know who they are. And they are, they have name tapes, but they're given names that they earn at Indoc to become a Matt team member. And that is what they are known as. When, when we're in the race, that's who they are. They are not such and given a name in the race. They are given what their call sign is. And that's who they are. But they earn that call sign given to them at Indoc. That's absolutely amazing. I've asked you a lot of questions and I'm really appreciative of your time. What should I have asked you about but didn't? I think the biggest thing about OEW is they are continuing to always grow and always looking for new things to get involved with. And the biggest thing it comes down to is people who want to see a change in our community and see veterans break their limitations. It takes help from donations, but it also takes people who want to be involved in it as well. You don't have to monetarily give something to give back to Operation Enduring Warrior. You can meet us out on an obstacle course race and help us through the obstacle course race and eventually become an OCA or part of the organization itself because it's always continuing to grow and looking for other veterans that are out there. And I think that if you are a veteran or a first responder that's out there, I just want you to know that you're not alone and that if you are wanting to do something and push past your limitations, we're here for you. All you got to do is reach out. We've been talking with Chris Wolf. He's an OEW honoree. He's got a, a fantastic story of courage and sacrifice and overcoming obstacles, working with Operation Enduring Warrior, and as here to really be a, a showcase of all the great things that they're doing. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Operation Enduring Warrior, that's the website, EnduringWarrior.org. It's a great organization. Go check them out. They have a really cool website. They have all the social medias and we'll put some links on the Coming Home Well Facebook page and our social media so you don't have to worry about writing it down. But Chris, thank you so much for coming on Coming Home Well and sharing your story. And, and I'm just so impressed with the organization and with your personal story of overcoming sacrifice and uh, challenges. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for coming on Coming Home Well. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. 
Follow us on Instagram at cominghomewell underscore BTS or on Twitter at cominghomewell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Coming home well.